0: Okay, uh, we have prayed, and it is time to open up our Bibles uh, for uh, the proclamation of the Word, the reading of the Word, First Kings chapter 18. If you would, please open up uh, with me in your Bibles, even or, either that you've brought or that you find in the pew uh, before you, for those at home. I hope you do have your Bibles, and I hope they are opened up. However, uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, uh, first of all, uh, if you don't have one, call the church office or call my cell phone, and we'll send you a Bible. We've got Bibles. We are a Bible-believing church. And so if you need one, call us. We'll send you one. Second of all, uh, um, uh, if you don't have it right now, maybe it's in your car or something like that, never fear. The word word will be up when I begin to read. So while y'all are opening up to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, I I feel like there is a need uh, for some definitions before we begin because uh, I'm going to be talking about spiritual recession a little bit and uh, maybe the best way to um, uh, to bring this topic up is is with the opposite revival spiritual revival have you ever prayed for a spiritual revival uh, it's very common in our southern context to pray for that uh, it, it's a li- it can get a little unorthodox, depending on where you are in our country, but uh, in the South, typically we are comfortable with a prayer along the lines of "Lord, uh, would you send a revival upon your people?" Or "Lord, uh, would you would you cause a revival and you know within the bounds of Centennial?" You know, sometimes you hear these words, right? Revival, and that is where. Whew, The Spirit blows in strongly and mightily and begins to stir within our hearts. And the people of God are wrought spiritually asunder and their sin becomes quite apparent. But at the same time, we begin to see the gospel of Jesus Christ so clearly that we can't help but begin to rise up and proclaim the word. And more people believe. And as the Spirit is working, it takes hold usually of the community or the city right? Maybe y'all are familiar with revivals. Uh, There is something else that you're familiar with, but we don't like to talk about, and it's the opposite. It is recession, spiritual recession, and it is my pastorly opinion that we, and I don't just mean centennial, I I mean uh, our church and our nation, those outside of the church even. We, in this country, are in a spiritual recession. That is, the Spirit has recessed from us and we find ourselves with a close to stony heart. Sometimes, and this might be pastoral weakness, maybe not. uh, it's It's at the very least sobriety. I might pray something like this. Lord, I pray for a revival but I would take normal. I would take normal. Have y'all felt that? It's easy to see outside of the church, right? Look at the ethics. The ethics is a great example of where America started and of where we find ourselves now. Uh, Whether you believe it was Christian totally ethics that America was founded on, they were at least closer then than they are now, guaranteed. Just look around, look on the news, look at the most conservative place you can find and see how biblically liberal they are. That's tough. What is the church to do? What about inside the church? What does it look like there? What does our Bible study become? What does our proclamation of the word become? When did singing God's word become not cool? Talking about our psalter, right? Uh, Centennial, by the way, sometimes made fun of because we sing psalms. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, it's God's word. That's tough. But what does it mean? I think it means we're in a spiritual recession. And we actually see the very same thing in Israel in First Kings chapter 18. Uh, First Kings chapter 18, by the way, just to set your uh, mind in the context, we find ourselves with Elijah. Uh, but as I mentioned with the children, uh, we kind of take the lens off of Elijah by the Holy Spirit and zoom right in on a man named Obadiah. And uh, Obadiah finds himself in a non-believing country, in a non-believing government, serving under uh, probably two of the most non-believing people in the known world at that time. Okay, and Obadiah. A faithful man believing in God is sitting squarely in a spiritual recession doing faithful ministry. That's our main point, and I want us to see it with clarity this morning. God allows for faithful ministry in a spiritual recession, an important word for us. Let's pray for the reading of God's word, and then we'll read it. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you bless the reading of your word by your Holy Spirit, would it take and hold us and seize us, grip us, Lord, and as we we hear this word, and as we hear it proclaimed, Lord, I pray that we would come away wiser, uh, not because of Jeremiah, the fool, but because of you, the all-wise one, working through your word. May you do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll start in verse 1, read through verse 6. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord, this word right here, the first six verses remains forever. Uh, Sometimes we can skip over these verses because we're thinking, no, 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 no. We've got to get to Elijah, right? You're preaching a sermon series on the life of Elijah. Let's get to Elijah. You know, we keep saying that name like Obadiah doesn't exist, but it would be to our peril because the Holy Spirit not only imbued this word uh, with inerrancy, with perfection, he even gave us a parenthetical statement, right? Whenever you see parentheses in the scripture, you know, wait a second. What is this? It's outside of the narrative. What's what's happening? It's a point being made most often, and we see those parentheses, at least in the ESV, which is a a more literal translation of that Hebrew manuscript. And so uh, we come here to this main point. God allows for faithful ministry, even in spiritual recession, and we'll see it in two points this morning. Obadiah, the house manager, and Obadiah, the God-fearer. God is going to reveal what it means to have a faithful ministry in spiritual recession. So first, Obadiah, the house manager, verses 1 through 3, and then 5 and 6. The parentheses will take up in the second point. Now, it's true that the word of the Lord came directly to Elijah, but it's also true that Obadiah is the one contacted by Ahab. Obadiah is Ahab's house manager, after all, which affords him close connection and continued relationship with the one that Elijah is seeking, right? Obadiah's just got him. He can knock on Ahab's door anytime, he is the manager. Of the house again elijah certainly has a strong part to play in god's plan it's written across the word uh, we see it in, in in great clarity and we'll continue to see that but so does obadiah in fact ahab's trust in obadiah and obadiah's faithfulness they play an integral role in god's continuing plan here remember uh, this is where uh, the drought is still on the land her. Elijah, if you, if you recall the story or if you've been with us during this sermon series, Elijah said, no rain. That was the first sermon, right? No rain. And he went and hid because he knew he was going to get killed if they found him because he just said no rain and the word came true. And so he just effectively hamstrung and hindered the entire nation from growing it, and in fact caused them to go into such deep crisis that they could not move forward. That famine is still there. It's severe. Uh, In Samaria, which is another word uh, for uh, the changing reality of Israel, no longer God's people, those who wrestle with God, that's the literal name of Israel, they're going into Samaria, which is this change after uh, truly after the conquest of Babylon. But it's a change. This is not God's kingdom anymore. These people are not following after God. They are not believing. Uh, What are we to do with this? Obadiah is still there, though. God is revealing through him, through Obadiah, the great value of a faithful follower of God outside of ordained ministry. Uh, I'm a pastor. I get to talk about Jesus all the time. Uh, It kind of comes with the territory. Justin's here. Uh, He's a pastor. He gets to talk about Jesus. It kind of comes with the territory, right? Uh, And yet, uh, what we see here is that Obadiah is a Christian, and he gets to talk about Jesus. It kind of comes with the territory and more opportunity for those who don't believe. Think about it. I ask the children, right? Who do you know that I don't? I see all kinds of different professions here, all kinds of different businesses. That if I walked in and said, hey, y'all, I'm a pastor. I'd love to tell you about Jesus. They say, there's the back door. You get out. Don't go out the front. Uh, we don't want any cameras. You just get out. All right? Uh, it happens, and it will happen, right? Uh, but, but y'all been working at your different places, right? Uh, you know different people that I don't. Uh, your family you've known for years and years. Who is this Joe Schmo trying to tell me about Jesus? Who is this my cousin, my nephew, my son, my uncle, my aunt that's talking to me about something they care about? Obadiah is revealing here, or God rather, is revealing through Obadiah uh, this beautiful reality of how God works. I I can't believe this. For Centennial family, for those visiting, uh, you'll appreciate it. But for the Centennial family, uh, I hope that y'all will really appreciate this. I've been here for three years. I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but uh, one of my philosophies of ministry is what I like to call an inside-out ministry. In other words, we here on a Sunday morning and in Bible studies and in prayer groups and in discipleship moments and in one-on-one meetings, uh, we are preparing, we are putting on armor, we are learning what to say and maneuvering through these different situations that we might go out, inside, out to share the gospel as Jesus has called us to go. Go and make disciples, right? Uh, Not just to Spain. Everybody, go! Right? Wherever you might find yourself, go. Uh, This inside-out ministry defines uh, the majority of the things that I do. When I think about it, I feel like I probably should have said that much earlier in my tenure here. But maybe it was obvious and plain as we have been moving together as a church family, growing and moving just in that way, inside, out, Obadiah is revealing this, God is revealing it through Obadiah, a faithful follower of God, outside of ordained ministry. Oh, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't know if I should be talking about that. Of course you should, of course you should. We believe it, don't we? You're here with me, aren't you? It's what Jesus has commanded, isn't it? Even in the terribly idolatrous and unethical land of Israel, not America, but we could replace it with America very easily, Even there in Israel at that time, God allows for faithful ministry. The same is true today. The same is true for us. We can see that even more clearly as we take up this this parenthetical statement, this, this second point that not only is Obadiah a house manager, not only is he living this life uh, uh, of faithfulness within this uh, this uh, spiritually recessed place, this country and household, we also see explicitly that Obadiah is a God-fearer, verses 3 and 4. Obadiah, the house manager, is able to have a faithful ministry in a spiritual recession because he's a God-fearer. If you're looking for a good example or a definition of what a God-fearer is, uh, I think actually Jonah 1 gives a pretty good uh, depiction of it, a picture explanation uh, if you recall jonah uh, he was supposed to go somewhere he ran the other way and as he ran the other way uh, god actually did that on purpose because he had some sailors that he wanted to save all right and that's that's in all likelihood why jonah ran away and as jonah is going this way not knowing what god's up to uh, that big storm comes right It stops him from being able to go any further they're throwing everything off they're praying to all of these little g gods and nothing's happening. Until Jonah says, it's me, y'all. It's me, all right? You got me. It's my God. He's trying to get me. And so throw me overboard. And if you do, this storm will stop and you'll be saved. And they said, no way, man. That's crazy. Jonah said, I'm telling you. You could try. We could all die. You could throw me off. And you'll survive. And they said, okay. I mean, they were, at, they were at wit's end. All their cargo had been thrown off. And what'd they do? They threw them right off. The fish, of course, takes care of Jonah. He goes on his merry way. But something else happens on the ship. The sailors come to faith. The storm ceases. And the sea is still. And they feared a great fear, is what the Bible tells us. They feared the Lord. They believed. They saw who God is in all of his magnitude and that he is willing to bring a storm against a prophet and then that prophet is willing to talk about this God even when he's pushing against him. And in that moment, they believed. They believed and they were changed forever. Isn't it incredible? The fear of God, recognizing who God is and what he is doing. That's the gospel, right? That's the gospel that, that God would send his son, his son is God, by the way, Jesus, fully God and fully man, he takes on flesh, right? He's perfect, unlike us. We are imperfect. Jesus, living this perfect life in perfect flesh, not just for himself so he can say, hey, I did it. He goes straight to the cross for his people. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it's good news. It's because he does something for us. God does something for us. And in that moment, we become God-fearers because we see just how far God is willing to go. He'd give up his own son for us. Incredible. Incredible. We see the gospel playing out. A God-fearer is Obadiah. There is a huge difference between a believing house manager of Ahab and an unbelieving house manager of Ahab. And the difference plays out in the faithful action that follows. To put it another way, it's the difference between fearing God and fearing the world. Think about it. What does an unbelieving house manager of Ahab do when Jezebel cuts off the prophets of the Lord? What's an unbelieving house manager do? Jezebel's cutting off the prophets of the Lord in Israel. Well, speaking from a worldly point of view, it's all reward, no risk. All right, this is my chance to rise up, make a little money, get a little respect, have good standing with Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel is Ahab's wife, by the way. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll have respect and I'll have job security for the rest of my life. All I've got to do is kill these people. Uh, i don't believe this stuff anyway so it'll be easy peasy we'll cut them off take care of them that'll be done all reward no risk for me so why verse four of our text when jezebel cut off the prophets of the lord obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water think about the repetition not only are you the house manager, not only are you pilfering bread and water during a famine, right? When, when people, you know, in, in times of plenty, they think, ah, what's a few loaves of bread? Somebody maybe wanted an extra one. In famine, where, where they are worried about the donkeys and the horses dying and, and not just dying, right? They're going to try to kill them so they can eat them so they can survive, right? And this time... Obadiah, the house manager, risking life and limb, takes that bread and water straight to the prophets of the Lord that he hid in some caves. Can you imagine the intense stress that goes into something like that as you're playing this out day in and day out in the household of Ahab? Whoa! It is much more stressful than maybe you thought when you read that verse. Why? Why? It's because Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. It's because Obadiah was not a Jezebel fearer. He was a God fearer. He served the Lord and therefore, spiritually speaking, it's all reward and no risk for him to hide the prophets of the Lord. Don't you see it? It's flipped on its head, right? It's flipped. All the risk would have been to cut them off. And there would have been no reward there for the God-fearer. It's flipped on its head, risk and reward. But where is your reward? And where is your risk? Where is it? Have you ever thought about that in your lives that you live, at work and at play, with friends and with family? All too often, we mix up our rewards and we seek the world rather than the Lord himself. And the dangerous part is that when we seek those rewards, when we flip them, the risks flip too. And they are real. And Jesus says we've got to stay awake, because it's sooner than we think where it comes due. Here's Jesus' words on risk and reward. Two sections of the Bible. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 20 and 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there's your heart right? That's the reward. What about the risk? Matthew 16, 24, 25, and 26. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Dear Christians, have you mixed up your risks and your rewards during this spiritual recession that we find ourselves in? There is faithful ministry to be had, and the reward is eternal life in fellowship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God allows for faithful ministry, even in a spiritual recession, in the big categories of your life, and this is where we'll finish and where we'll conclude. Just three questions in the big categories of your life, family, friends, work, school, and so on, right? These these kind of large time takers. Ask yourself these three questions. What are you risking? What are your rewards? And where is your faith? What are you risking? What are your rewards? And where is your faith? ask those questions with me this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for a word. Thank you for a word uh, out of the word where you show us that faithful ministry can be had even when we feel like, Lord, you have receded, that belief is, is, is tough and It seems like we take a step forward and three gets taken back from us and in our country or in the world or wherever we want to look or however we want to see it. And yet, God, we know of your goodness and your faithfulness. It abounds your steadfast love. And so, Lord, we pray and we cry out to you, the worker the creator of the universe, the one who continues to work within that universe that you have created and that you have shown that we can can be with you and call you Father. Lord, we ask you now that you would help us and that you would show us what faithful ministry looks like in Columbia or wherever we might find ourselves. Lord, would you do it? In Jesus' name, amen.